Canada with God time here on The Breakfast Show. We're about to get into our 20 million movement Bible study. Before we do, we have a 400 point for the quiz. I got hiccups this morning. This is the second time I've had hiccups this morning. <laughs> this is against the rules. All right, for 400 points, what did Jesus once say a worker is worthy of? 0491 is the number to call. If you know the answer, for 400 points, you can win a book from our selection of bargain books. But again, that question was, what did Jesus say? Uh, what did Jesus once say a worker is worthy of? 0491-064-669. Okay. D- d- directly related to our Bible study today. This is another hint right there. But anyway, um, let's get into our Bible study. Oh, no, let's we don't have any text, text messages. Have we got a few? No not one, that many. No one talked to us. Everybody's asleep this morning. <laughs> Why am I not asleep? I could have a sleep. Yeah, we should have just stayed home. We just send Shell right, in here. Right. We do have some. Show. We do have some text messages, so we'll read them. Mm-hmm. Here we go. Uh, ooh, 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 ooh. Wow! If China takes over Facebook in Europe, how is that better? Yeah, you know, that, that was actually kind of my point. <laughs> I was like a bit tongue in cheek right there. Like, yeah. yeah, China could take this over. Uh, they all belong to the New World Order, and China is going to use the information for our benefit? Question mark. Question mark. Question yeah, mark. bud. Uh, could be exactly what the plan is. Last time I read the Bible, things are going to get worse, not better. So there's a bucket of cold water over the top of your good news story <laughs> about Facebook going down the tube in Europe. Mm. And, you know, I was saying that kind of half seriously, but there's every possibility. Yeah. If Facebook pulls out of Europe, then China could very easily go, there's an opportunity, we will step in. Someone will step in. Of course they will. Mm. Um, and as you said, the uh, the best thing to do would be to uh, um, would to would to uh, you know have somebody step in at um, you know from Europe and have a local yeah. startup company, be a, a local European startup and make have all a, the and money, have, and, and have a conscience, and send all that tax money back into the European economy, like, and have a conscience, and and have a conscience, that and would be don't good. take people's data. I feel like that would be refreshing enough to where you'd make money from it. All right. Uh, we don't have to go to our chemist or, for our drugs anymore. Just drink water out of the tap and our medication's <laughs> cocktail. They're all That's there, insane, thanks to man. Big Pharma. That's so good to us. Uh, I think the moral of the story is here, get one of those um, water purifiers. That's, That's right. A reverse osmosis one. That is correct. A problem solved right there. You can send uh, all of those um, pharmaceuticals back down the drain. Mm. Where yeah. they belong. Easy. I wonder how much of this is in the fish that we eat. They were actually saying in the article that um, fish have seen reduced breeding numbers because of leftovers of contraception in the water. That's nuts. Yeah. That's insane. Uh-huh. So, so literally... How much contraceptions are we flushing down... Wow, yeah. Uh, Canada and Pre- President Justin Trudeau, the world's youngest dictator. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> I just so wonder funny. how long Canada will accept this. And that's it's a very interesting question. I had a bit of a conversation with a few people about this yesterday. It's like, what's his chances? But anyway, throughout history, humanity has or has had always a point where they say enough is enough. If people don't do it soon, they will be doing to all the same and pick on groups at the time until they have no power left. That was a bit difficultly worded, but anyway, uh, just as well we know what the future holds. Amen. Praise mm. God. Uh, let's pray for the father who won't be able to see his son anymore. Hate to be in the judge's shoes on Judgment Day. 
what will you do to others will be done to you sooner or later. I think that's a good idea. Let's do that. Let's pray for the Father. Let's pray right now. Mm. Father in heaven, we pray that you'll be with this Father at this time. Uh, this is just a breaking news story. It's something that has happened over the last few weeks. We pray that you will be with him to give him courage. We pray that you'll be with that family, that you will restore that family, and we pray that you will be with that judge, that you will bring her to repentance. Uh, we pray for this whole situation. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Mm. Uh, nursing in hospitals, going to hospital instead of going to hospital get better is going there to die in many cases. Um Yep, that one, another difficultly worded one, but I think I get the point there that you know sometimes, well, going to hospital may not be the best idea all the time because he's going to die there in many cases. Mm. There are thousands of nurses who have been let go because they are not vaccinated, and yet the world and governments know that being vaxxed doesn't save you from coming down with a virus. It's insanity, or is it part of the plan? And finally ending off with, God bless the nurses. Mm. Absolutely. They are just really, really struggling right now, and... Uh, Throwing money at it is not the solution. Mm. Just giving them more money to work a 16-hour day doesn't solve the problem of the fact they're working a 16-hour day. Yeah, that's right. Um, that's, not, that's not the solution. I don't know what the solution is, but I know that throwing money at it, you know, it's, it's not a bad thing to throw money at things from time to time. So I'm sure they deserve, you know, more money than what they're getting because of how hard they're working. But we need to, we need to, we need to protect their health. Mm. We need to throw more nurses at them. That's the solution That's, right there. You know what? A nursing degree is four years, Lyle. We're, we're still pretty young. We can get that done. Yeah. Let's go for okay. it. Let's, no worries. Dude, the semester's about tomorrow. to start. Yep, you got time. We, we could still get in. Yep, yep. You, you know lots of um, people are doing nursing at the moment. That's I'm right. Sure. I do. I know people who have just graduated. I know people who are in the midst of their degree. We can go in. Easy. All right. Let's get into our Bible study this morning. Okay. Wow, text messages have been busy lately, and now we're in our Bible study. We've um, still got four minutes to go, so (laughs) let's jump into it. We've been studying about the Elamites Mm. and Abraham attacking the Elamites, and he's attacked them with, what, 318 men. This is a world superpower. Mm -hmm. Um, And so this is asymmetrical warfare at its best. He's using a tactic of attacking by night. The Bible says, when we go over to Genesis, let's go to Genesis and uh, Genesis chapter 14. Let's look here. Uh, verse 15, uh, verse 14 and 15, please. Yeah, it says, When Abram heard that his nephew nephew Lot had been captured, he mobilized the 318 trained men who had been born into his household. Then he pursued uh, Chedorlaomer's army until he caught up with them at Dan. There he divided his men and attacked during the night. Chedorlaomer's army fled, but Abram chased them as far as Hobah, north of Damascus. Okay, so that's about 120 kilometres. Mm-hmm. So just to put that in perspective, uh, you've got a very large army here. If they're making 15 kilometres a day, they're doing well. Yeah. Because you've got, you know, by the time you're, by the, by the time you're uh, you know, there's a big a time gap between when the vanguard moves out and the baggage train leaves the campsite mm. and, you know, eventually catches up. And so, you know, large armies like this, they're moving slow. This is about an eight-day journey. Mm-hmm. And so what you've got here is a situation where it seems that Abraham organizes this night attack and harasses them mm. all the way to and, until he's north of Damascus, until he's actually able to rescue, you know, defeat them completely, rescue. You know, in the end, 
they just give up and make a break for it for 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 for, for home. Mm. Um, because you know, you imagine being an Elamite soldier, and you get this attack in the middle of the night. You wake up in the middle of the night, and every shadow is a potential threat mm. uh, and a potential enemy, and you just have to survive. You have to kill every shadow that comes at you, and you suddenly realize that you're killing, you know, other Elamites. You're killing your best friends, whatever it might be. But that's the only thing that you can do to survive because of the havoc that is created in the camp in a nighttime attack in a time where there are no night observation devices. There's nothing to identify friend or foe. Mm. Abraham doesn't have to worry about it because, you know, he's got 318 men. It's a massive army. Mm. They can just spread themselves out. They're not going to kill each other. Just go in there and kill every shadow. And just, and just you know, they can start it, start the, start the commotion and then just let it run. Yeah, that's right. And then and then you're an Elamite and you survive that night and you march the next day. The weather is hot or the weather is cold, whatever it might be. You might get rained on. It's going to be miserable. You are dragging with you a huge baggage train um, and a massive amount of slaves that have to be taken care of and to be watched so that they don't escape. So you've got to protect all of that. And then you go to sleep that night like, oh, you know, last night was pretty exhausting, didn't sleep all night, uh, fought all night, marched all day, now I try and get some sleep, and Abraham attacks again. Mm. After eight days of that, what are you feeling like? Yeah, pretty What do you what are your rough. nerves what are your nerves like when you go to sleep around your campfire <laughs> that night? Yeah. It's like <sighs> when's the next attack coming? When am I going to die? Yeah. What's going to happen? And Abraham's men would be pretty fresh too because they have the ability to sleep while the baggage train moved off. They're able to sleep. They're able to live off the land. Um, you know they have the sympathy of the inhabitants of the land yeah. so they can be provided for. They can just vanish into the, into the neighbourhood. They look like everybody else. They don't look, you know, how do you track them down? You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Yeah, so you know, you, you can you can see why in the end they just give up. They dump all of the pillage, everything mm. they've taken. They they ditch the slaves, and they make a break for for Elam. They make a break make a break for home. They're like, nah, one hundred and twenty kilometers. You know, that's going to take, as I said, about eight days. Eight mm. days of that, they would be so incredibly exhausted. It would be like, okay, if we leave all of the wealth behind, and if we leave all of the slaves behind, mm. maybe Abraham will leave us alone. Mm. And maybe we will get back with our lives. Yeah. Now, you start to put this. You start to put this whole story together here, mm. and ultimately, what it comes down to is that you know you've probably got you have. A, I don't even know how you would begin to estimate the size of this army. Mm. And we can sort of look at it in hindsight and say, okay, Abraham was a brilliant tactician and a great warrior. You know, he's, he's an old man, but he's he's fit and he's healthy, and and he's got all these other these other guys with him. But then you can say, but when has Abraham ever been a tactician before? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> when has Abraham ever gone to war before? We don't have an extensive list of his conquests. You when know? has Abraham ever learned martial arts? Mm. And then when I say martial arts, I'm, you know, the art of warfare. Yeah, that's right. Using that in the very broad context of the term rather than, you know, the, the Asian kind of... Context, mm. context that we often think about. When he's ever learned that, he hasn't. Mm. So where is? How is Abraham learning this? What is he? What is he? What is he even using for weapons? I mean, 
you know, we don't know. Shepherd's dicks. <laughs> but we do know this. That to go out with 318 men, a small war party, a raiding party against a massive invasion force is an act of faith. It's a literal miracle. It is literally a miracle. Mm. And for him actually to be successful and to pull it off, it's just, it's just, it's, it, it is truly beyond imagination. Mm. And in many ways you've got a, a parallel story here with what Gideon does. Uh, you know, many hundreds of years later. Mm. Uh, but, and, and both of these stories are absolute miracles. And so let's look at the next thing that Abraham does because uh, it's instructive what actually takes place here. Uh, let's see here, verse 16 and 17. Yeah, the Bible says, Abram recovered all the goods that had been taken and he brought back his nephew Lot uh, with his possessions and all the women and other captives. After Abram returned from his victory over Chedorlaomer and all his allies, the king of Sodom went out to meet him in the ba- valley of Shiva, that is the king's valley. Okay, so this is what, what okay. What's the, what kind of a message is this for the king of Sodom? And the king of Sodom, he's made an alliance of five kings mm-hmm. to fight against four. Yeah, and he's got absolutely smashed. Yeah, and you know they've raised the the the, the entire population of the Jordan Valley mm. uh, to defend their cities, and they've been completely destroyed. Mm. And he's been lucky to get away with his life. We find that we did, he did get away. He wasn't captured. Mm. He obviously escaped. And then Abraham goes out with 318 men and does this. What is God saying to this king of Sodom right here? Um, This guy's legit. Like, yeah, you, like you I'm to, real. You, like, need to, you need to be worshipping God. You need to have a bit of a conversation with Abraham about his God. This is a yeah. massive appeal to mm. the king of Sodom. I mean, this, the Sodomites, you know, they, they go on to be Sodomites. They, they go yeah. on to... Uh, to become known in history as uh, have a reputation of being the most wicked, evil people just about that have ever existed. Mm. Thousands of years later, we're still talking about them as being really evil people. Mm. And they here have this opportunity to give themselves to God because it's not only Abraham that is there at this particular time, but somebody else turns up as well, and this is important to our story. Next verse. In verse 18 it says, And Melchizedek, the king of Salem, the priest of the Most High God, brought Abram some bread and wine. Okay, so Melchizedek turns up and the king of Sodom turns up. So now you've got the king of Sodom, you've got Melchizedek, you've got Abraham, and you know they're going to be telling war stories. Mm. And you know that Abraham is going to be telling stories about the power of God Mm. and what God has done Mm. and how God brought this victory because no one in their right mind is ever going to ascribe this victory to Abraham's prowess in strategy or as a warrior. Yeah, not him or anyone else. No. Again, like to literally witness this take place and to hear of these results, it's like you couldn't just chalk it up to – like maybe you could look look – from later in history and say, oh, maybe he's just really good at war. But as we've made the point this morning... He's got no training, no background, no experience. And that would have been even more highlighted, the fact that they knew this guy, Abram, that he was like just a random old dude with a group of trained slaves. Oh, trained servants. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. (laughs) Like, that's who he is. That's right. 
Mm. Okay, the Bible says here in verse 19 that Melchizedek blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And he blessed the Most High God, which had delivered, and, and, and blessed be the Most High God, which has delivered your enemies into your hand. And, and he, Abraham, gave him, Melchizedek, tithes of all. Mm. So this is interesting because I want you to notice what is taking place here. It is a worship service, it is a thankfulness service. Mm. And Melchizedek is leading it out because Melchizedek is. is leading out in the in the praise and worship of God. He is the high priest. What's interesting is that Abraham recognizes Melchizedek as the high priest and returns tithe to Melchizedek. Mm. We often look at Abraham at this particular time as the chosen of God, uh, the founder of the chosen people, and yep. therefore, you know, obviously he's the priest of his family. Mm. Uh, he sets up an altar wherever he goes. He is a, He leads them in the worship of God. And so, and, and of course, at this time you had a thing called the priesthood of the firstborn. So the priesthood of the firstborn predated the priesthood, the, the Levitical priesthood. Yes. So after the time of the golden calf, you had anybody who was a Levite would be a priest. You had to be a Levite to be a priest. Before that, it was the oldest person in the family. Mm. And, you know, so you, you look at the birthright, part of the birthright was becoming the priest of the family when it was passed on, and so it would be the eldest person. Abraham is the priest of his family. He's the oldest person in his family. He is the high priest. Mm. But Melchizedek, who's a Canaanite, is a higher priest. Mm. How do we know that? We know that because Abraham returns tithe to Melchizedek, and tithe is always, always returned to the high priest, mm. the highest priest. That's where it goes. Okay, so this brings up a whole bunch of questions about tithe. Mm. So I thought we should talk a little bit about tithe this morning and get a little bit of an understanding of what tithe is all about and why it is that Abraham uh, returns tithe to Melchizedek. And the first thing that I want to point out right here is that when it comes to the issue of tithe, it can be quite controversial. And the thing that's made it controversial is the prosperity gospel. Yeah. People get disgusted by the prosperity gospel where you have preachers that are clearly only preaching the word of God so that they can become wealthy. And all they ever preach about is money and give me money and give me more money. And God says, you have to give me tithe. So you have to give me a tenth of all of your income. And they just get incredibly wealthy. Mm. And so it's given tithe a really, really bad name. Yeah, that's right. But we should not let badly behaving preachers bring a bad name on a practice that God outlines in his word. That's Just because right. people do the wrong thing doesn't make that thing wrong. Yes. Mm. So it's not uncommon to get you know people obviously uh, objecting to you know, the concept of tithe, and mostly the the reason why you see them objecting to this whole concept is because of prosperity gospel. There's other people who are just, uh, I guess, a bit selfish and whatnot, and they're like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, what do I want to return tithe for? I don't want to mm. do that. Uh, but that's kind of a, you know, a, a different kind of a, um, a reason. Mm. And, and, and a lot rarer, to be honest. Most people, when you introduce the concept of tithe, are like, yeah, of course, I'll return 10% to God. That's entirely... Yeah. 
reasonable. I mean, I got everything that I can have. I came from God. Mm. However, I want to point out right here that, and, and and people that go down that path often say, well, you know, this was the law of Moses. Mm. This is part of the ceremonial law. Mm. No, mm. this is Genesis fourteen. It's a long time before the ceremonial law. You're listening to the Breakfast Show podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Here on the Breakfast Show, as we get into our well, the 500 pointer. We're up to the 500 pointer right now. Mm, that is right. For 500 points, who did Claudius Lysias, Lysias send a letter to about his prisoner Paul? Zero four nine one zero six four six six nine is the number to call if you know the answer. And for 500 points, you can win our number one prize for today: Christ Our Righteousness by Arthur G. Daniels, all about getting into how Christ is, is the one who provides us righteousness, who grows us into righteous people, and how he has done the work of righteousness so that we can become righteous. 0491-064-669 is the number to call if you want to win that. And again, that question was, who did Claudius Lysias send a letter to about his prisoner, Paul? Okay. If you know the answer, give us a call. 0491 A couple of text messages coming through on nurses. Um, Paula says this one. She says, nurses have been experiencing burnout way before COVID. Also <laughs> yeah. mandates. I worked in aged care for... Yeah, and this is interesting. They have. Mm. But then you add the fact that now they're more understaffed than before and mm. they have to wear protective gear. You know, it's just, it's just added pressure. Mm. She goes on, she says, I worked in aged care for years and in the end it came down to being bullied into having the vaccination or lose my job. I chose not to have it. My heart breaks for the people I abandoned. I miss my job incredibly. One word, understaffed. Mm. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a crisis. Uh, then we go to this one right here um, where Freco says about the water, the water problem. Yep. Tank water. Let's Straight from God. <laughs> Well, tank water is the best. Well, but but tank water is like evaporated regular water. Exactly. Yeah. Have you heard of acid rain? Yeah, (laughs) we kind of get that much acid rain around here. (laughs) Tank water is the best. I've I've drunk tank water for the majority of my life, and I would never have anything else if I could help it. Okay, this one on the Bible study, Melchizedek, the example for future tithe offering to the earthly uh, Levitical high priest and priesthood. God was teaching Abraham the tithe system for himself and for future generations. Mm. You know, it's an interesting thought. What we don't know in this situation is, was this where tithe originated? Yeah, because it just it just happens. It just brings it up like it's some practice that is pre-established, but we've never seen it. Maybe it's been there since way before the flood. Mm. We don't know. Mm-mm. It just says, yeah, he did this. Mm-hmm. He returned tithe. Um, so we're going to do a bit of a deep dive into tithe here and look at a bunch of verses on this particular subject. And the first thing that we're going to look at is what the tithe is actually to be used for. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's go to Leviticus chapter 27 and verse 30 to 32. Is the tithe to be used to buy a fleet of Bentleys or Learjets? Um, yeah, if you're cool. <laughs> All right, Leviticus, Leviticus 27, verse 30 to 32. I hope you caught the humor in what Lawson was saying right there. Was I joking? Uh, no. Okay, Leviticus 27, 27. and verse 22, the Bible says... No, 30 to 32. 30 to 32. The Bible says this. 
one-tenth of the produce of the land, whether grain from the fields or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord and must be set apart to him as holy. If you want to buy back the Lord's tenth of his grain or fruit, you must pay its value, plus 20%. Count off every tenth uh, animal from your herds and flocks and set them apart for the Lord as holy. Okay, so the Bible simply says that uh, it defines the tithe for you right here. And the tithe is one tenth. In fact, uh-huh. the word tithe simply means a tenth. That's all. It, it's just another word for a tenth. Mm. Okay. Um, what's it to be used for? Numbers chapter eighteen, verse twenty-one. Numbers eighteen and verse twenty-one. The Bible says this: uh, as the tri- as for the tribe of Levi, your relatives, I will compensate them for their service in the tabernacle. Instead of an allotment of land, I will give them tithes from the entire land of Israel. Okay, so who is it given to? The Levites. It's given to the Levites, and it is given for them for the ministry, the work mm. of the ministry. Yes. And so this is really important. It's not given to you know build churches or build buildings or you know take care of the poor and that kind of stuff. It's given to for the work of the ministry. Mm. Uh, there were other offerings that were. You know, mandated by God for the support of the poor and for you know building the sanctuary and all those kind of things, um, they were called free will offerings, and uh, they should be according to the Bible extensive and generous. Mm-hmm. That's what that's what Christians do. Mm-hmm. But the tithe was for the ministry, mm-hmm. uh, for evangelism, for sharing the word of God. Okay, so let's uh, now go over to Matthew chapter twenty three and verse twenty three, and let's look at Jesus' attitude towards. The issue of tithe. What did Jesus have to say about returning tithe? Matthew 23 and verse 23, the Bible says, What sorrow awaits you teachers of the law and you Pharisees, hypocrites? For you are careful careful to tithe, tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. Okay, so what does Jesus say about tithe? You should tithe. You should do it. If Jesus says this is something I should do, good enough for me. Yeah, well. You know, uh, the only reason that uh, people would object to tithing is because they want to keep that money for themselves. And it's like, mm-hmm. oh, it's, it's my money. No, it's not. It's God's money. It's God's and, money. and people talk about, people always talk about paying tithe. There's no such thing as paying tithe. You can't pay tithe. Yeah, that's right. You're returning tithe. Mm. 100% of what you got came from God. You return some. The reality is is that like if we if we believe that God is real, right? Yes. We believe he cares for us. That's right. We believe that he is going to sort out our financial situation, all that kind of thing that we have the ability to live. God could ask for 99%. Yes. And we could live on one. Absolutely. But he only asked for 10. Yeah. And it's like, wow. Government asked for a lot more than that. <laughs> Wish the government only asked for 10. Dude, the flat rate of 10, that would, that, dude, that would be a win. It would be a massive win. Mm. Okay, let's go to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians. Uh, and let's look at tithe in the New Testament, see what Paul has to say about mm. this. Chapter 9, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, which verse? And verse 13 is where we're going to start. And of course, we were looking at. Uh, the uh, the fact that tithe was for the Levites, for those who were ministering the word. Yes. That was what we read in Numbers chapter 18, verse 21. For the tithe is for those who are ministering the word. So let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 13. 
13 and 14. Don't you realize that those who work in the temple get their meals from the offerings brought to the temple? And those who serve at the altar get their share of the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord ordered that those who preach the good news should be supported by those who benefit from it. Okay, so when Paul talks about those who serve in the temple eating from the gifts that are brought to the temple. What are the gifts that are brought to the temple? Um, The grain. The tithes. The, t- the tithes, yeah. We, we read earlier, it was like your grain, your cattle, your sheep, your, you know, you can give any, because this was currency, this was their income, That's this right. is what they used to trade at, at that time, as well as, you know, th- there were a few, you know, established currencies of money and whatnot. Um, but it's like, hey, yeah, whatever whatever you're using, whatever you're receiving, whatever profit you're gaining, tenth, give, give, it, give it Give a tenth to God. And this is why there was massive storehouses associated with the temple. Mm. A tenth of everything was brought in there and stored in those storehouses for those who ministered the word to be able to use. And so Paul simply says here, you know, do do you not know that those which minister about holy things at the temple live off the things of the temple, live off the tithe? Mm. And those that wait at the altar are partakers with the altar. Mm. Even so has the Lord ordained that those which preach the gospel should live off the gospel. Exactly the same thing right here. Mm. Uh, The Bible says that tithe is to be used for the ministry of the gospel, those who are preaching the word of God. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM, positively different. This is for our pentathlon quiz, followed by question of the day. Uh Uh-huh. So for 100 points, the answer was thunder. For 200 points, the answer was the fear of the Lord. For 300 points, the answer was Michael or Mikal. For 400 points, the answer was wage slash higher. And for 500 points, the answer was Governor Felix. So if you got all those correct, get on ya. But right now it is time for... Question of the day. All right, Lyle, so our question of the day is this. It actually comes from the Bible study that we were doing this morning. We were reading in 1 Corinthians uh, that essentially, uh, you know, if people are benefiting from the Word of God, then they should support those who are preaching it. Um, Then why do people have a problem with pastors being rich? If you're paying a tithe to the church and say you're in a church with like lots of people, then that's lots of tithe and that's lots of money going to the pastor and he's doing the work of God. Why is that a problem? Because it's not a biblical model. And let me share with you why it's not a biblical model. In fact, let me share with you the challenge with that model uh, before I share what the Bible says. The challenge is you're going to get some churches that got like 20 people. And, of course, the income from the tithing income from that church is not going to be able to support a pastor. And so they don't have a pastor. Then you get a, char- a church with, you know, 15, 20,000 people. And you've got one person receiving, well, maybe a small uh, team of pastors who are receiving all of the tithe from a church of, say, 20,000 people. And let's say that that church is in an affluent neighborhood where those are actually wealthy people compared to your 20-person church that might be in a very poor neighborhood and is bringing in very, very little income. What it means is that you get an inequality in ministry, so only the wealthy get ministered to and the poor or are neglected. And so that's a problem. Now, of course, the Bible solved the problem. God solved the problem. He's very, very well aware that this situation would be exactly the same in ancient Israel as today. You would have some synagogues where there would be, you know, a, a, a great teacher, a great rabbi. Um, it'd be a very busy 
big synagogue in a wealthy area, and it could easily become a mega synagogue that then just you know produces lots of money, becomes big business. They get mega wealthy, and then you get some other synagogue, maybe in Nazareth or somewhere, which is super poor, and they're going to struggle. So here's what the Bible says. And this is the biblical model, Malachi chapter 3 and verse 10. The Bible says, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in my house. Test me now herewith, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing, that there will not be room enough to receive it. And the promises go on from there. And so the biblical model was that the tithes would be brought into the storehouse. Well, what is the Bible talking about when it talks about the storehouse? The storehouses were associated with the temple in Jerusalem. And what would happen is that the Israelites or the Jews uh, at later times, in time of Malachi, would bring their tithes into the storehouse at Jerusalem. And Jerusalem became the central distribution point where it would then go out from there to all of the Levites that were ministering right across Israel so that everybody was provided for and nobody went without and you didn't have some that were mega wealthy and some that were mega poor. Every person, there was a a system so that every person could be uh, provided for. And so you're going to find within Christianity today, you've got a couple of different models. Your congregational model, this is why the Bible does not teach congregationalism. Your congregational model is where the local church hires their local pastor who teaches his particular teachings and they hire him by returning their tithes. And if the tithes plate is empty on the Saturday or the Sunday, whatever it might be, then he kind of goes to go get gets to go hungry that week. If he's a great preacher and his church builds up, then of course he becomes mega wealthy. And we have you know many examples of that that are taking place in our world today where you get these mega wealthy churches. The biblical system is that you have a central point of distribution so that every church and every church member and every opportunity for evangelism and spreading the word of God is equally provided for and so that nobody is going without. And so it's important to find a church that has a central distribution where the tithe comes in and then is equally divided out so that every single parishioner every single member of that church and every single member of the community can be equally, as much as possible, provided for. It's come to the end of our breakfast show. And while we're answering difficult Bible texts, another way to learn how to answer difficult Bible texts is by studying the Bible. Amen. And the best thing you can do is just study it for yourself. Mm. If you would like some help, that's fantastic too. Lawson helps lots lots of people study the Bible. That's what he does. He's a Bible worker. And there are lots of people like Lawson. I mean, if you're in the Newcastle area, give us a call and uh, Lawson will come and see you. But if you are somewhere else, then there are people right around this country that would be more than happy to study the Bible with you. Just give us a call, 0491-064-669. We will make it happen. And as you go through this day, don't forget to talk faith, live faith, act faith. You will grow strong in Jesus Christ.
for being a part of the Faith FM family. Join our community on Facebook or get in touch at 1-800-FAITH-FM.